Turn, please, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19 for this morning's message, at least to get started with it. We're working on this series, Living by Faith. This, of course, is our theme for 2018. We've been looking here at Hebrews 11. Some of the individuals mentioned in this passage, learning what we might concerning their lives of faith and how we might apply these great examples of uh, faithful living to our life as well. We're looking this morning at the subject of Abraham, the father of believers. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 8 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. As we said, looking through this passage of scripture and considering these different individuals, Abraham was an exemplary man of faith, and he stands out as one of Israel's greatest heroes. More space is devoted to Abraham, Genesis chapters 12 through 25, which are 14 chapters, by the way. Uh, More space is attributed to Abraham than any other of the role models of faith mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Abraham is known as the father of believers, And he demonstrates one of the greatest examples of faith in the Bible. He believed against all odds and endured in his faith. He was obedient, believing, and had faith that God genuinely would fulfill his promised word. Whatever God said, Abraham was willing to do. Now, for a Jewish person to accept true salvation by faith, he would have to first be shown that this is how Abraham uh, came to God, by faith. 
The Jews were right in looking to Abraham as a great example. The problem is they looked at him at the wrong, in the wrong way. They knew that he had pleased God, but they had to be shown that God was not pleased with him because of his good works, but because he trusted him. Remember, the just shall live by faith. It's interesting to note that both the books of Romans and Galatians appeal at length to the faith of Abraham and, uh, and elevating that faith uh, because of its covenant uh, in Christ above the works of the law. We see that in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. The book of Hebrews here picks up where the books of Romans and Galatians left off. Our text emphasizes the practical consequences of Abraham's faith. In fact, we see Abraham obeyed God when he didn't know where, in verses 8 through 10, when he didn't know how, verses 11 and 12, when he didn't know when, in verses 13 through 16, and he didn't know why, in verses 17 through 19. But his faith was so celebrated in the Old Testament uh, that the Levitical prayer of confession extolled God and lauded Abraham's faith. This is recorded in Nehemiah chapter 9 when the uh, the great uh, when the temple had been rebuilt and it was being dedicated the scripture says in verse 7 thou art the lord god who didst choose abram and broughtest him forth out of the ur of the chaldees and gavest him the name of abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites uh, to give it, I say, to his seed and hast performed thy words for thou art righteous. The New Testament as well holds up Abraham as a great example and father of all who truly believe couple of thoughts here Galatians chapter 3 verse 6 even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham James 2:23 says and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God My, what a testimony. That wasn't a a term he gave to himself. No, it was God that called him his friend. Jesus responded to the Jews' uh, boast that they were the children of Abraham in one of their discussions when he said, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. Now, given all of this, we're not surprised that the writer of Hebrews pays so much attention to Abraham. In fact, earlier in this book, he appealed to Abraham's example, uh, writing of his patient faith that received God's promise. Look, if you would, back in chapter 6, verses 13, 14, and 15, and notice this. Chapter 6, verse 13 says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely... Blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he, Abraham, obtained the promise. Because there's so much said about Abraham in this passage, and because his life is so important to the context of this subject, living by faith, we're going to spend more than one Sunday on it. 
So I want to take just a few minutes to back up and help us to see who is this Abraham. We note that he was born Abram, the third son of Terah, and he was later named Abraham by God himself. Abraham grew up, and by the way, I'm going to refer to him most of the time as Abraham rather than to try and go back and forth uh, between Abram and Abraham. I don't want to be confusing, so just letting you know now, we'll refer to him Abraham as Abraham. But uh, he grew up in the era of the Chaldees in the general region uh, called Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. This was a fertile land that was culturally advanced and located some 140 miles from where the future city of Babylon would be constructed. We don't know exactly when God first made himself known to this man, but what we do know is that prior to that time, he was a sinful heathen. He was raised in a home that was pagan, and he grew up in an unbelieving and idolatrous society. How do we know that? Remember, the Bible is always the best commentary on the Bible. Joshua 24, verse 2 says, Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. It was at the age of 70 that Abram, with his father, his family, and their household, left the Ur of the Chaldees and went some 300 miles north to the city of Haran. He abode there for 15 years. The cause of this move was a call from God, as recorded in Acts chapter 7, verses 2, 3, and 4. By the way, there is no mention of this first call of Abraham in the book of Genesis. So again, we rely on the New Testament to give additional insight to some of these Old Testament passages. That move, by the way, was implied in Genesis 12, but not clearly stated. But while they tarried at Haran, Terah, his father, died at the age of 205. And Abram to be called Abraham, then received a second and more definite call from God, accompanied with a promise. And we'll see that in Genesis 12 in just a moment. But trusting in God to guide him, Abraham left that land with his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and began his journey westward. We're going to look at the evidence of his faith as demonstrated throughout the remainder of his life or throughout his life from that point forward. Five things we're going to see as we look through this life of Abraham. We're going to see Abraham, Abraham had a listening faith. He had a leaving faith. He had a living faith, a looking faith, and a lasting faith. So we'll spend either two or three messages on this passage. But I'd ask you to turn with me, if you haven't already, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. 
This is the secret of Abraham's success. He was called to go out, and the scripture then says he obeyed. May I say obedience always results in the blessings of God. God's first word to Abraham was the clear command to move out on faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God. When God commands us to do something, he expects obedience. Too often believers treat commands as options or suggestions. But understand, when God gives us a clear command in his word, we are expected to obey it doing that which God has told us to do. Anything less than complete obedience is disobedience. And we need to understand that both obedience and disobedience have consequences according to the clear teaching of the word of God. The nation of Israel understood that. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 26 through 28 where Moses declared, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. God gave Israel a wonderful land and they had the right to enjoy it. But in doing so, they were expected to do right before God and obey him and his word. This is a principle set forth in the word of God from the very garden of Eden and will continue all the way until the time that Christ returns. Let no one think that we can sin successfully. God says, you do right, I will bless you. You do wrong, I will curse you. The problem with people today is they like to establish their own guidelines, their own limitations, their own expectations, and they expect to be treated based on their own set of governing rules uh, in their life. It doesn't work that way. You see, what's right for one person is right for another. What's wrong for one person is wrong for another. And this situational ethics that has been made so popular by people in our culture over the last few decades says, well, it might not be, it might not be good for you to do this, but it's okay for me. After all, my circumstances are different. <laughs> Beloved, God's word doesn't change. It doesn't excuse one person from doing wrong and yet, on the other hand, condemn another for doing such. And by the way, the scripture tells us if you offend the law in one point, you've broken the whole law. Bottom line is simple. God blesses those who obey and punishes those who disobey. Jesus dealt with this topic during his ministry in Luke chapter 11 verse 28 we see yea rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it later in John 14 21 we see recorded he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him as I mentioned obedience is a principle that God established in the garden of Eden Genesis chapter 2 
Verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God gave a command. And God expected Adam to honor and obey that command. And God made it quite clear that if he did not, there would be consequences associated with his disobedience. In fact, would you turn there to Genesis? I want you to see something in this passage of Scripture. We're just a, a sidebar here. Genesis chapter 2, that passage that we just looked at. I'll let you get there. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, which I just wrote. Excuse me, I just read, excuse me. Somebody wrote it before me. But anyway, <laughs> Genesis 2, 16 and 17, that was what we just read. Verse 18, notice what it says. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast, and so on. And we see that at the end of the chapter, we have the description of God's creating Eve. What's interesting is Eve wasn't present when God gave that command to Adam, according to the context here. Therefore, once Eve was created, it was Adam's responsibility to pass on to her God's word. You see, that helps us right from the very beginning to see the importance of the transmission of Scripture through generations, through ages, through languages, the importance of making sure we correctly communicate what God's word says and the importance of making sure the recipients of God's word clearly and correctly understand what is said because we know if we read further she changed the word of God she added to it which by the way God says you take away from the words of this book or you add to them I'm going to go ahead and add to you the curses uh, described therein we see three times God says that in his word warning us of the importance of not changing his word what we see in this regard though is that God gave an instruction concerning his word and he said you don't do it, it's going to cost you. Further on in the history of the world, we see in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, Saul is the king of Israel. The first king of Israel, by the way, the first human king. He was commanded to destroy the Amalekites, to kill them completely. It had to do with their wickedness and idolatry as a people who had turned against God and were the enemies of God and God's people. It seems harsh, but God commanded that these people would be wiped out along with all of their possessions. Samuel comes along and meets with Saul after their conquest. Saul is boasting about his victory. And Saul says, we completely obeyed the Lord. We did what he told us to do. 
And Samuel says, what then meaneth this bleeding of the sheep? In other words, what do I hear? Saul said, well, some of the men decided to, to keep the better animals of the flocks and the herds to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And if you're familiar with this passage, you know that Saul also spared King Agag's life. And you know how that turned out. But to summarize all of this, Samuel, in speaking for the Lord, in verse 22, said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of lambs. See, obedience stood out in the life of Abraham. God told him to move on. There was no kicking and screaming, no hesitation, no complaint about the distance of the trip, no whining about uh, uh, what he had to give up, no demand for an explanation. God said, go. Abraham said, I'm on my way. (laughs) That is a picture of complete obedience. That is a wonderful picture of faith in the Lord. Again, God blesses obedience. A little boy, about eight years old, story is told, uh, was quite a mischievous tyke, which is not unusual for eight-year-old boys. But uh, he liked pulling things out of the kitchen cabinets and, and, and cupboards, and he'd play with them around the house and make noise with them. He just had a big time with all of that. But his mother found it necessary to constantly be picking up after him and cleaning up. And finally, she got tired of tripping over all this stuff. She got tired of picking up. She got tired of telling him to put it away, and he wouldn't do it. She said, no more. We're done with that. Stop taking things out of the kitchen cabinets and playing with them. Well, he liked playing with paper grocery bags. All of us remember what those are. <laughs> so he liked coloring on them. He liked making masks. He liked wearing them. He liked carrying things around in the house in them. So she did allow him to do that, but she said, you have to put them away when you're done. He did fine for a little while, and then before long, back to usual, eh, they were everywhere, crayons everywhere, his toys everywhere, and so she said, that's it. No more. So she went looking for him. She was going to deal with this, and uh, she found him in the living room, sitting at the piano, playing a hymn and singing a song. And so she fussed at him. She said, you need to get in there and put everything away. He said, no, Mommy, I'd rather sing. His dad piped up and said, <laughs> said this, Son, it's no good to sing God's praise if you're disobedient. That's a simple lesson, but actually a very powerful one. If only we would get a handle on this great truth that when we are being disobedient to the Lord. Our fellowship with him is broken. Now, just to clarify, every one of us sin. Every person, saved or not, still has to deal with this old Adamic nature, the sinful nature with which we are born. The Bible tells us we are born into this world in sin. And just because we get saved doesn't mean that sinful nature is eradicated. It doesn't mean it's eliminated. It doesn't mean it's done away with. Some say, well, we no longer have to live with sin. Well, no, that's true. We do. 
I am thankful, though, the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful blessing to know that God encourages his children to constantly be in fellowship with him. But when we sin, that doesn't change our relationship with our heavenly father. We are still a child of God. A disobedient child, but nonetheless a child. Well, when we are disobedient, we have a responsibility to confess that sin to the Lord and ask him to forgive us so that our fellowship can be restored. Number of us here are married, I'll put it in this way. Every now and then, things between you and your spouse might get a little tense. That sweet fellowship isn't actually at the top of either of your list. You find yourself at odds with one another. When that happens, are you still married? Well, of course you are. You've entered into a permanent relationship. But the fellowship, the communication, the joy is absent. What does it take to restore that joy, to renew that fellowship? It takes confession. It takes humility. It takes the swallowing of our pride, saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You understand those are very powerful and very meaningful words in a marriage relationship or any relationship, in fact. Even though we sin, we're still saved, but disobedient. How important it is for us to understand the value of obedience in our Christian walk in this life. Abraham had listening faith. He heard what God said and says, I'll do it. God said, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a bumper sticker that was popular a number of years ago that read, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, you know, God said it, that settles it, whether you or I believe it or not. But the fact that when God tells us something and we choose to believe it, it leads us to obey him and to do that which he has spoken to our hearts about doing. Jim Elliott, well-known missionary who, along with four others, died at the hands of the Indian tribe that they were trying to make contact with, said, God always gives his best to, to those who leave the choice with him. Benjamin Franklin is credited with saying, how many observe Christ's birthday, how few his precepts. Oh, tis easier to keep holidays than commandments. Bob Jones Sr. used to say the acid test of our love for God uh, is obedience to his word. My love for the Lord is demonstrated in my obedience of him and his word. Someone said the things God requires of us, we ought to be willing to do. Is that your heart attitude this morning? When God tells us to do something, are we willing to obey? But let's take it one step beyond that. Not just are we willing to obey, but do we obey? James admonishes us to be good hearers of the word, 
but as well to be what? Good doers of the word. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to do. One of the reasons Abraham was such a wonderful example of faith in the Old Testament, because when he heard, he did. When God told him to do something, he said, yes, sir, it's done. That ought to be the desire. That ought to be the attitude. That ought to be the activity of every one of us today to obey the Lord as he speaks to us.